in the Wednesday night devotional, I said that I would like for us to consider the summer of 2022 as the summer of new life and new beginnings for the Shoto Hills Church of Christ. How we had been through kind of a tough year two winter together and it was time for some new growth individually, internally, and congregationally. And of course, one of the things that <clears throat> we started, as I mentioned, was back a while ago uh, this year, we had a few first-timers give devotionals on a Sunday night. We put two or three of those together. And we're not done with that yet. I still would like to encourage any of the men who've never done one or seldom ever done one to start putting together a Devo and uh, let me know when you've gotten started or if you need some help getting started and like to continue those. I know that there were some wonderful comments headed out the door, folks. Thought it was great to, uh, to have that variety and, and some of, to hear from some brethren that we either hadn't have heard from or hadn't for quite a while. Another new beginning that we have started, of course, is door knocking. And I say started door knocking, not because we've just started door knocking, but because we've only just begun in this particular fashion. Uh, it is a new beginning because, again, we have only just begun not finished the job by any stretch of the imagination, but also the way we've done it. Instead of going out and kind of blitzing the whole town, we've gone out and started uh, having a few conversations, doing it in a little bit more of a relaxed way as we did back on June 11th. Had some nice conversations, 80 plus, with different people. And a result of the, as a result of those conversations, there's been uh, several things that have happened. We've had a couple of new families added to our prayer list, as you've seen this morning. I know that some additional contact has been made with some families that were struggling with health issues up in Shoto Hills. Four Bible studies have been requested that are in various stages of getting set up, and again, I covet your prayers on those. Eight families have signed up to teach an in-home Bible study, and some of them are first-timers, and certainly we need the congregation's prayers with those things, because again, we've only just begun. Last week, we were blessed to have a wonderful family from Shoto Hills, whose door was knocked, show up and um, actually be here for worship, and we were so grateful for them, uh, grateful to God for them, and um, additional contact has been made through the week. All of those things that I just mentioned, all of those things happened because of just a couple of hours, just a couple of hours worth of walking and talking to our neighbors one Saturday morning about the Lord, about God's love, and about God's word. Can you imagine, if we can do all that in just two hours, see all of those things happen. If we can do that in just two hours, can you imagine what God wants to do with us and through us as we continue to spend many times those hours out knocking doors? Can you imagine what God wants to do? Can you imagine what God wants to do if we go up there to that new bulletin board up there by the coat rack and along the bottom there's pinned those sheets with, with doors that didn't get knocked because nobody was home and, and as families come up and take one of those and go knock eight to ten or twelve doors and, and three or four of us get involved in doing that, can you imagine what God can do with us? See, I don't think we can. Matter of fact, I know we can. According to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, 
which tells us that we can't begin to imagine what God can do with us. But God can. God knows what he can do with us if we'll just go. And like the Israelites of Exodus chapter 14, God is just waiting for us to continue moving forward in order that he can continue to bless us beyond belief. And it's not about just fishing or, or finding a, a few families up in Shoto Hills that we can study with and, and continuing to seek those out. I, I know I've shared this with some of the door knockers, but Brother Bill Diltz was talking to me about this several weeks ago, and he said he was part of a congregation over on the East Coast who had over 80 baptisms one year. And he said the way that happened was that they had a group of youth come and knock doors in the neighborhood, and some of the congregation members apparently went with them, were encouraged by the results, and so they started talking to people a lot more openly where they work, go to school, and he said probably about half of those baptisms weren't because of the door knocking, but because people were encouraged and emboldened by the door knocking to make it a regular part of their habits to talk to people about the Lord. So as we continue forward this morning with an eye towards this summer of new life and new growth and new beginnings, I thought that I would present a lesson that deals with one of the most distinct differences that our guests first notice when they walk into the church building. One of the things our guests first tend to notice when they first come to visit us, as opposed to what they might see or have heard or become accustomed to in other churches. My purpose for doing this is at least twofold. Number one, I want for it to serve as a refresher course for those members who will set up Bible studies with people they know. I want it to serve as a refresher course so that when those people show up here at church and ask this question, as a lot of them will, I'm sure, based on past experience, that the answers will be readily available from this morning's lesson. And number two, and I think that, that this is perhaps even more critical, and, and I love how Cheryl mentioned in his prayer about how we must walk by faith, and, and do we? The second reason I preach this lesson is to serve as a reminder to us all that the reason that we do things, the way we do things in the Lord's church is because that's the way God said he wanted them done. That's what it means to live by faith. We do things the way God said he wanted them done. We study his word and do things the way God said that he wanted them done. And, and it's not about anybody's personal preferences or prejudices or opinions on the matter when it comes to this and so many other issues, all issues that are biblical in fact. So let's begin with this morning's lesson. One of the primary things that people notice first that's different about us when they walk into our assemblies is the absence of musical instruments up front. That's a biggie. Most everybody uses them. Most every church experience outside of the Lord's church you will find instruments. Not all, but most. Now, despite what some people may think or, or may conclude when they first come into our assemblies, 
It's not because we can't afford them. I've actually heard that. Can't you guys afford them? No, I'm dead. It's got nothing to do with the fact that we can't afford them. It's got nothing to do with the fact that we don't have people who are talented enough to play them. We have several very talented musicians in this congregation. Nor is it because some of our church leaders got together in some sort of group and decided we're not going to use them. It, it's none of those things. The reason that we do not have instruments is simply because of what the Word of God says about the kind of music that God wants to hear from the hearts and souls and minds and mouths of his children. Music which his children, if they keep in mind what God has done for them, are only all too happy to give him back as a small token of their appreciation. We'll give him what he wants because he's God. That's why we do it that way. There are 10 texts. I was going to make a PowerPoint, but I didn't. There are 10 texts in the New Testament that address for us or tell us exactly what God wants to hear for music. Here they are. Both Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, and Mark 14 and verse 26 say the same thing in the New King James Version. They say this. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, you will recall that Paul and Silas were imprisoned there. It says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I've seen it written before that, well, obviously, they didn't have a piano in prison. Well, granted, they didn't. But when you put these verses all together, you only get one picture. Romans chapter 15 and verse 9 says, As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So it's not just in prison, it's amongst the Gentiles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 15, talking about in the assembly, there, in the context of several chapters right there in 1 Corinthians, it says, what is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit. And I will also sing with the understanding. The two that we are probably most familiar with that will pop up again near the end of this lesson, or at least I will just refer to them, the first one is Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19, which says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart, in your heart to the Lord. Something to be aware of. And I know that this is basic for many of us, but again, we need to know all of these verses and, and how to teach people, and this is a lesson on faith as much as anything else. Number one, in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 that I just read, where it encourages us to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and sing and make melody in our heart to the Lord. Number one, that was written to the whole church. 
That wasn't written to a small group of talented musicians. That wasn't written to a group of entertainers. That was written to the whole church. How do I know that? Because Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1 says, to the saints who are in Ephesus, faithful in Christ Jesus. I also know it because if you read all the rest of the chapters, you can't go along in Ephesians and get to something in chapter 2 or 3 or 4 and say, well, that only applies to a very small group of people. No, it applies to the whole church. He's writing to the faithful in Christ Jesus to the saints who are in Ephesus. So that encouragement to sing to one another is for all of us. This is why. Because of faith. Because of God's outline, blueprint. This is why we don't have concerts, praise teams, quartets, soloists, or instruments. Because they're foreign to God's pattern. Same is true in our next text, which is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Once again, that instruction is given to every member of the church, male, female, all of us, one in Christ Jesus. That instruction is given to us, we know, to the whole church because Colossians chapter 1 and verse 2 says to these saints and faithful brethren in Christ Jesus who are in Colossae. Everything he wrote in Colossians was to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ there. The rest of the chapters of Colossians written to all the saints. So once again, it's a reason why we know when he says to sing to one another that he's not talking about some small group singing to the bigger group. He's not talking about about playing, he never mentions playing anywhere in the New Testament for the church, it's always singing. The eighth scripture of the 10 that we would see in the New Testament that tell us about this is Hebrews chapter two and verse 12, which tells us exactly the kind of music God wants to hear from his children. It says, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing. The writer of Hebrews backs this up once again later on in Hebrews 13, 15, by saying, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You say, well, that could be prayer. Uh-huh. It could be a praise God. Uh-huh. It could also be singing his praise. Praising him with our lips. Jesus, I'm sorry, James in James 5.13 wrote, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Why is this so important? Why is it such a big deal? <clears throat> What's the problem? I mean, so many places today use instruments. Why is it such a big deal? I'm going to tell you why it's such a big deal. I'm going to put it in a little bit different type of, of illustration, a rather lengthy illustration, but certainly you will we'll, we'll have this to, to hang on to. Let's suppose that you are a contractor with a construction company, sort of like brewers. Only you specifically deal not with commercial projects, but with multi-million dollar homes. That's what you do. Your construction company does multi-million dollar homes. That's your specialty. That's what you do. Okay? 
And some infinitely rich, infinitely powerful individual, infinitely rich, money to burn, comes to you, wants you to build his dream home, comes to you with a very specific set of blueprints. And, and they want you to build this, this multi-million dollar home that they want according to those blueprints and they agree to pay you several times what your estimate would be. No, that isn't enough. We're going to pay you five times what you ask. And we're going to give you an absolutely unlimited budget. There is no limit. We're going to give you, we're going to give you an unlimited budget. We're going to give you a blank check to build this house. The only thing is, it's got to be built according to the owner's plan and blueprint. That's the only catch. I mean, you got somebody that rich and that powerful and knows what they want, you're going to build it according to their blueprint. You got unlimited cash. You got a blank check to go do this. But you got to build it their way, whatever the materials, whatever the dimensions or the specifications that the blueprints call for, that's what it must be. You've got to go by the owners. This is nothing new in the Bible. Turn to, uh, turn to me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 6. This is very similar to what happened with Noah. Okay? It's sort of like Noah in Genesis chapter 6, verses 14 through 16. Sort of like that. Not identical, but sort of. God comes to Noah. He said, Noah, I'm paraphrasing. Why don't you build a boat? Here's the plan. Follow along with me. In Genesis chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it inside and outside with pitch. Is that pretty specific? Has God got a specific materials list, a specific uh, kind of, of wood he wants used, a specific plan. Has God got all that down? God does. Yep. And this is how you shall make it. Now he's going to give him dimensions. I want, here's the blueprint. I want it this by this by this, he says. And this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Here's the dimensions. Here's the blueprint. You shall make a window, not three windows, not seven windows, a window, singular. You shall make a window for the ark, and you shall finish it to a cubit from above. You will finish this window off, and it will come to within a cubit of the top. And set the door of the ark in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did, verse 22. That's vital. Now, here's the plan, Noah. Here's the blueprints. Here's the material. Go for it. What if Noah had said, I think I'll use pine. What if Noah had said, it doesn't need rooms. Why do I need rooms? One big, listen, building all these walls and taking all this time, are you kidding me? I got a better idea. Or what if he had said, I'm not going to cover the inside. Pitch is nasty stuff, right? The boat was big, right? 
And God said, cover it inside and out with it. No, 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 no. I said, can you imagine how, what a mess? I mean, they didn't have the solvents we have today. Can you imagine the mess it's going to make to cover this thing inside and out with pitch? I'll tell you what, I'll do everything else, but I ain't covering it with pitch. Close enough. How far did you think the ark would have stayed afloat? Did God know what he's talking about? Did God have a reason for specifying rooms? You don't want the lion sleeping beside you, Noah. See, even though Noah might not have understood every feature of the blueprints, God did, and God was the owner, and God said, this is the way I want it done. And here's the, here's the dimensions. What if Moses had said, well, I'll make it 50. I'll make the length of it 50 cubits, and I'll make the height 300. This thing right, would have tipped over like a tower in the water. But you see, Noah did all that God commanded him, so he did, chapter 6 and verse 22. It's also interesting to note that what God didn't have to say. God didn't have to say, Moses, uh, Moses, no, he didn't have to say that. Uh, Noah, make yourself an ark of gopher. Now what I mean, Noah, is don't use pine, don't use oak, don't use maple, don't use this, don't use, it. God didn't have to say that. When God said that I want you to cover it with pitch, he didn't have to say, now what I mean is don't cover it with oil, don't cover it with fir boughs, don't cover it, he didn't have to do all that. Because when God specified what he did want him to build it with, what the blueprint called for, that's what the blueprint called for. And you didn't have to throw a whole list and say, now what I mean is it's not this stuff. When he said to Noah, you shall make a window for the ark, he didn't have to say, I don't want you to make three or four, 10 or 12 or 20, one. God said, make one. And, and the door, put it aside. Now what I mean is don't put it in the roof, don't put it on the end, don't put it on the back. He didn't have to do that. Noah's instruction and experience in Genesis chapter 6 is very similar to Moses. God told Moses repeatedly in Exodus 25 and 26 to make the tabernacle for God to dwell in and everything in it according to the pattern which God gave him. God told Moses, here's the blueprint. Here's how I want it made. Here's how I want everything inside of it made. Here's the material. You have to overlay this stuff with gold. You have to make this of this, but you overlay this with gold. And this is the way it's to be built. Here's the plan. I want this here, and this here, and this here, and this here. Exodus chapter 25 and 26. God laid out not only the dimensions, not only what he wanted, not only the arrangement, but God told him, and inside, here's the stuff. Make everything, he told Moses, according to the pattern. Moses, it's my tabernacle. It's my house. Build it according to my specs. That's the message in Exodus chapter 25, 26. Moses was the contractor. Tabernacle was for God to dwell in. That was his house. You know what Moses did? He did everything according to the blueprint. And you know what? God rewarded him for it so, so very much. Remember when I said earlier in our little analogy that the, the owner would pay the contractor five times what they asked? Well, Moses is very richly rewarded according to Hebrews chapter eight, verses four and five, and Hebrews 11, 24 through 27. So now, I'd like to really bring this home and, and apply it to our little contractor analogy, if I might. Let's say that our infinitely wealthy individual who came to you with a very specific set of blueprints and gave you an unlimited budget to work with in order to build his palatial, palatial home, he calls you and he says, hey, I'm dropping by on Sunday to see how the work's going. 
I'm going to be coming to join you this, this Sunday, and I, uh, I want to find out the progress you're making on, on building my home. And you on the other end of the line say, it's coming along great. It's awesome. In fact, glad you're coming. I, I even want you to know it's going so great, I've made a few improvements. Let me, let me tell you the improvements. You're going to love this. Now, you're talking to the contractor, and you say, because you know he's coming by Sunday to check. You say, now, I know that your blueprints called for an Olympic-sized swimming pool. I, I know that. But listen, hey, as a contractor, I know some folks that are a little afraid of the water. So I decided instead to just put you in a sauna. After all, water's water, right? I mean, sauna, pool, you know, it's okay, right? And, and, and you know that large living room that you wanted put in down there on the first floor? I put it in just exactly like you wanted it. Sort of. Because I got to thinking, you know, some folks prefer a little bit more entertainment than you included in your blueprint or you, you allowed for in your blueprint. So, so I made the living room actually a little smaller and I added a full movie theater room on one side and a high-tech game room on the other. Because let's face it, people are in entertainment these days and, and, and your house, your living room is just kind of boring. So, so the living room's still there, but it's a little smaller and, and I put that on there and I knew that, that you'd be okay with that. It's in your best interest. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And as you drive up the driveway to see the house and how it's coming, um, I understand that the exterior color isn't quite what your plans called for either, but, but listen, quite frankly, I thought, you know what, black and white is just too old-fashioned. You know, it's like the White House or something, it's kind of cold, and, 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 and black and white for the exterior just isn't getting it done. So, so I decided to change the exterior color of your house to kind of this, this multi, multi, gray shaded kind of exterior with a rainbow themed trim. That, that'll make it stand out. That'll make it, that'll make it so people drive by this thing and think, wow, boy, you're just great. And then finally, you know, I know that, that you wanted this house to be two stories with 10 guest rooms, but honestly, I, I got to looking around, I got to thinking, man, with that view you've got, it would be much better if it was 10 stories with two bedrooms. Besides, who needs all that company anyway? When you've got a view like that, you might as well keep it to yourself. So, so no, I'm excited about your visit. I, I, I look forward to seeing you. What do you suppose his response would be? What do you suppose the owner who's pumped millions of dollars into this project, given, what do you suppose his response would be? Do you suppose you'd have his full approval to keep working? You think he'd continue to trust and reward you as his personal contractor? Or do you think it's more likely instead that he would probably immediately sever his contract and working agreement with you and seek to sue you out of existence and make sure that you never work again? Don't really have to wonder. We see an account in the Bible that's similar to this that kind of tells us how that would all work. Turn to me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel 15. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, 
verse 3. If we were to look at there, if we were to look there, we would see that God, the infinitely rich God and creator of the universe, commanded King Saul to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites and all that they have and not spare them. King Saul gets the blueprint. Here's what I want done. Here's how you are to do it. Here's the elements you are to alleviate. King Saul goes. He's out on the mission. Decides that he's got a better idea. If we turn to verses 13 through 15, we read the following. After he's gone out to the Amalekites, King Saul, that is, Samuel comes to him, 1 Samuel 15, 13. And Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. When, when God's messenger comes to King Saul, he says, Great to see you. I've done just what God told me to do. Just like on the contractor. Hey, can't wait for you to show up. I've made these improvements. Looking forward to it. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen? Which I, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Samuel knew the plan. The plan was to go in and destroy all the livestock and everything. And, and, and Saul says, I've done that. I, I did it. I've done this great job for God. And, and Samuel said, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. How, then how come I'm hearing sheep? What's the deal? What's going on? I, what's this noise? Saul said they brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Saul said, I had a better idea. Yeah, I, I know, what the, but I had this really good plan. This, I, I got a better idea. You know what Samuel goes on to say, if I may paraphrase? Oh, no, you didn't, bud. Oh, no, you didn't. It doesn't matter what you thought or the people said. The best plan, brethren, hear me. This is faith. The best plan is to always follow God's plan, period. Again, you didn't know what I was going to preach on, but your prayer set this up real well. The best plan, no matter what, is always to follow God's plan. And it does not matter what somebody thinks or feels or to the contrary. That's the message that Samuel has for Saul. And, and here's the tragedy. We see that King Saul was then rejected by God because King Saul had rejected the plan of God. Did you get that? Let me say it one more time. We know that King Saul was rejected by God because King Saul had rejected the plan of God. We see that in verses 16 through 29, but let me just read 22 and 3. 22 and 3, Samuel says to him, Has the Lord as great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? What he's saying to Saul is, hey, you brought all these animals back. Do you think God is really as pleased with with your disobeying him to bring these back here to burn them to him when what he really wants is for you to do it his way. He really wants you to build according to his plan. He really wants you to follow his blueprint. What do you think God's more pleased with, he, he, he asks. And then he answers his own question in the rest of verse 22. He says, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. The best thing you can do in God's book is to follow God's book. 
For rebellion, verse 23, is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, the Lord has rejected you from being king. May I apply it? Because you have not followed God's blueprint, God is not allowing you to continue as his contractor. And so the application of our contractor illustration, coupled with the lesson we have just learned from King Saul, makes it incredibly clear, or it should, why we would never dare to add an instrument to the music God has said he wanted when he said, sing to me 10 times. You see, in the New Testament, us today, the house of God, the house that we are building is the church of the living God. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14 tells us that. It is God's house or church or the church of Christ, the one he purchased with his own blood, his house, which we, his disciples, are always seeking to build in our own local area just like we are here in Shoto Hills, we're continuing to seek to build his house here, always, that's the job, okay? We build it and we continue to build his house as we go into all the world and we preach the gospel, as we go up the street and we preach the gospel, and people hear the gospel and they believe the gospel and they're willing to repent of their sins and, and they're baptized into and become part of this, this church, this house of God, which is the pillar and support of the truth, this, this house that we're building for God. The same original church we see in the scriptures by God's blueprint as well. It is this blueprint right here that God has given us, gave us 2,000 years ago, that every faithful disciple has sought to build his house, his church, according to the blueprint that we see in the New Testament. And I will tell you right now, I will challenge you right now, better than tell you, I'll ask you, good teachers ask questions. Where in the New Testament does God ever say, even once, that in his house, his church, those who offer him music are to play it? not in the blueprint, not once. It's not in the plan. You gotta add it to the plan. <coughs> it's not a matter of judging anybody. It's not a matter of, of being down on anybody. It's not a matter of us being better than somebody because we ain't. It's a matter of faith. When God says I want it built this way and I want my house built this way, that's the way he wants his house built. And we would therefore, because that's not included in the original plan and blueprint that we have right here, we would no more dare add an instrument to the owner's blueprint of his exact specification of singing than we would dare to add a theater room to the living room in our contractor scenario, or than we would add a sail to the ark if we were Noah, or if we were to add, we wouldn't dare either add another level to the tabernacle if we were Moses. We wouldn't dare do any of those things. Because listen, just as Moses and Noah were both, were they both rewarded for their faith? Was Noah rewarded for his faith? 
He and his eight people were saved through water, 1 Peter 3.21, right? They were rewarded for their faith. We talked this morning in the adult Bible class about the ladies going to the tomb on Sunday morning, how they were rewarded for their faith. When we talk about Moses and we read, we read in Hebrews in, in chapter 11 about his reward and how he's looking to reward, they were all rewarded. Well, guess what? I want to be rewarded for my faith too. Do you? Do you want God to reward you for your faith? Okay. God says, here's the blueprint. Here's the specs. Here's the material. And I will reward you above and beyond your greatest imagination if you follow me by faith and build my house according to my plan. Now, I want to be rewarded like those people were. Now, some folks that we have the opportunity and privilege to sit down with and study with will more than likely, even when we propose it in these terms, say, well, yeah, but David used a heart. Sure did. David and the people his day had harps and timbrels and tambourines and and it was part of their work. They had all, yeah, they did. Yeah, and, and absolutely did. There's no question about it. But they also went to the temple or the tabernacle or the synagogue on the Sabbath and offered animal sacrifices too. We got something better than that, don't we? Don't Hebrews tell us we got something better than the blood of bulls and goats? Uh-huh. Yeah, David did all that stuff. But David, David did not live under the new covenant. Now, here's the thing we've got to understand. The old covenant, as we know, was nailed to the cross. Jesus did away with that old covenant, which included the instruments. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. Colossians 2, 12 through 14. Hebrews 9, 15 through 17. Here's the thing. Yes, they absolutely did use instruments. Throughout Psalms and other, yeah, sure they did. Of course they did. Not only God's Old Testament people, but but the the Gentiles also, pretty much all used musical instruments in their worship up to that point. But that's exactly why this new type of music, when God built his original church in the first century, when he built the church of Christ the way we see it in the scriptures, it was such a radical thing because all of a sudden they didn't have instruments. It was a radical thing. Sure, they'd all used instruments, yes. The pagans had used instruments, yes. To their false gods, yes. And then all of a sudden, here comes this religious group, and they got no instruments. Everybody's going, what's with these weird people? You say, well, how do you know that? Well, here's how I know that. Did you know that this new type of music that God put in his original church in the first century Singing without instruments was so radical, they had to come up with a new term for it. Did you know that? Today in our society, as, as new things are, are, are uh, brought to us, as the, whether it's on the internet or other things, there are new terms that come along all the time, right, to define these new things, right? I mean, <laughs> listen, 50 years ago, clicker did not mean the same as it does today, right? Smartphone? No. And 
this change in the music from, from instruments, whether pagan or God's people, was so radical, they, they come up with a new term in Latin. You know what it was? New Latin term, acapella. You know what acapella meant? The music of the church, it was that radical. They needed a term to define this music of the church that was so different from all the instrumental stuff that they'd always known. And so they came up with the Latin term acapella, which specifically means to sing in the manner of the church. That's what it means, look it up. To sing in the manner of the church as opposed to what everybody else was doing and had always done. In fact, brother Richard, I'm sorry, Milo Richard Hadwin. There's a great book, Directions for the Road Ahead. It was written years ago. Uh, Directions for the Road Ahead, Stability and Change Among Churches of Christ. I want to share two paragraphs from Brother Hadwin. He said, virtually every point of Christian doctrine was disputed in the first centuries of the Christian faith. But one point on which there was unanimity, uniformity, and universality was that the form of music employed in Christian worship was singing unaccompanied by instrumental music. Every effect must have an adequate cause. Surely nothing less than the most powerful and demanding cause could account for pagans and Jews who for centuries had employed instrumental music in their worship to suddenly cease their use upon becoming Christians and for centuries more to employ nothing but singing in the music they offered to God. So striking is this fact that it created a new term in our language, acapella, a term that refers to singing without instrumental accompaniment or quote, according to the church. Then his second paragraph, he asked this question. What cause could have been powerful enough to have made such an astounding change? What reason is powerful enough to account for the dramatic and immediate change in Jewish and pagan practice regarding instrumental music and no longer using it upon becoming Christian? What could have caused that, he says? Only a belief that the use of instrumental music in Christian worship was sinful could have abruptly changed such a deeply ingrained and centuries-long practice. Only a command of God could have produced such a belief. Do such commands exist? 20th century opponents of instrumental music <clears throat> base their opposition on commands contained in Ephesians 5, 18 through 20 and Colossians 3, 16 and 17. An examination of the evidence indicates that the earliest writers who professed faith in Christ based their practice on those same two commands. And he goes on to expound. In summation, when we sit down to study with folks, or when they come to see what we're all about, there's gonna be a number of things that seem a little strange to them. There's gonna be a number of things they're not used to. There's gonna be a number of things that might cause them to question why we do things the way we do. And I hope they do question, don't you? Right, always be ready to give an answer if they question. They need to question, that's awesome. I hope every one of them questions it. A lot of things we do, guess what that does? That gives us the opportunity to Bible study with them. Praise God. 
But whether it comes to our worship music, as we've covered this morning, or on our giving, this is another one. Another thing that's really strange about us, really weird about us, okay? Really biblical about us. So many churches you go to, they, they'll, they'll have concerts and things, and they'll have a free, they'll have this love offering, or, or you go there, and, and you're expected as a guest or visitor to throw money in the plate. One of the things about the churches of Christ, and I'm going to cover this more at length next, next Sunday night, because I want to cover some of these basic things that, that we need to reinforce our own faith on, but be able to answer questions about. Do you know... Do you make sure that you let people know when they come to visit us in one way or another, no matter how old or young you are, they're not to put any money in the offering as far as we're concerned. We discourage that. Do you know why we discourage that? Because the Bible tells us the members are to support the church. That's why we don't have, I'm going to preach my second sermon here if I'm not careful. It's weird to people when you say, oh, and by the way, as our guest and visitor, when the plate is by, we don't expect you to put anything in it. I actually said that to a visitor not too long ago, and they went, well, thank you. It's like, whoever heard of such a thing? Anybody that's our guest and visitor should hear of such a thing. Anyway, whether it's instrumental music or giving and who's to do it or how we're to be saved, people are going to ask questions. And it always, 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 always needs to come back to the fact that you and I want to be found faithful. That you and I have been given the blueprint by God, right here, and we plan like Noah and Moses to go by the exact specifications, the exact materials, the exact plan and blueprint of God so that when we leave this earth we are found faithful and here well done thou good and faithful servant we're going to follow the blueprint as we continue to build God's church wherever we are wherever we go or if we stay right here for the rest of our lives that's what it always comes back down to we're going to use God's biblical blueprint in building his house here in Shoto, Oklahoma and nothing else no matter what ever period end of discussion because the day we use a different blueprint, brethren, the day we use a different blueprint, we're building for a different owner. I can't afford that, and neither can you. We believe the safest way and the only way to assure that we go to heaven is by faithfully following God's blueprint. Speaking of which, as I alluded to a moment ago, God's blueprint for salvation, not what you hear in a lot of places, Simple. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's how you're saved. And then you need to remain faithful unto death, which means continuing to follow the blueprint from there on out, whether it's in your personal life, with the church, your attitude, whatever. This morning, if you've not obeyed the gospel, if you've not followed God's blueprint to be a Christian, become a Christian, um, whose blueprint have you followed, and therefore, who do you belong to? God's blueprint's clear. If you followed that blueprint in becoming a Christian, but somewhere along the line, you know you haven't been living according to it, you need to get back into the blueprint. You need to live according to it and let him be Lord. We'd be glad to pray for you, study with you, do anything we can. If you have a need this morning, please make it known as we come and stand and sing.